nerds, this is Nicole Desane. Welcome to Talent Tales, the show where I interview leaders who have brought design thinking to their talent and HR practices. In today's episode, we have a special guest on the show. I'm joined by Adam Cochrane, who is a senior product designer at Zalando. Adam, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. Yeah, and we always love to have non-HR people <laughs> on the show to give us a little bit of, you know, analogous experience and, and insight. So always glad to have somebody from outside of HR. But why don't you share who are you and what's your story to get us started? Yeah, sure. So I am a service designer and a little bit of an imposter in the product design scene, but I work for uh, Zalando, which is for people who don't know, a big fashion uh, e-commerce site uh, comparable, I would say, to Amazon. We uh, have a team of out of 180 designers, user researchers, copy strategists, et cetera, in our company. Um, my initials are ABC, and I was born on Friday the 13th, just to add a bit of spice <laughs> in there. I was born in Australia, and from Australia, I also then uh, moved and have lived the last eight years in Berlin. So I am German-based, actually. You are a Berliner. I am a Berliner. Bin ein Berliner, yeah. Bin ein Berliner. <laughs> this is also a great way to say you're a donut, for those who don't know. <laughs> love that, love that. And so that leads me to the next question that our listeners always love to hear about. What's your superpower? Yeah, that is a good question. And I had to think a little bit about, um, as a designer, I would say, or as a service designer, I would have to say, Thinking in a service mindset is my superpower and bringing people together over the customer journey. And in that way, I feel like my superpower is to you know, create sustainable agreements, bring people together in an interesting way, but also show and empathize with the customer through their journey. That might be also internal customers, but uh, yeah, that's my superpower. Do you have a visual to illustrate that for us? I do. I tried my best to sketch it out. <laughs> I love that. You, so, you've got some sketching skills there. So it's a person um, and they're kind of juggling all these different pieces. Is that what it's meant to be? Yes. So you can see here, there's a little bit of a user journey. So you can mm. see what we call the swim lanes, uh, mm -hmm. which uh, covers how they're feeling about the journey, where there might be points of conflict or happiness. And then also underneath there's some wireframes because it's always great to put your ideas down on paper, sketch a little bit, draw a little bit. And that is uh, what I drew there. <laughs> you. Wonderful. You should give a course for us as, uh, you know, HR designers, because that's, and I include myself in that, that's a skill that we are all still trying to hone is visualizing ideas. So <laughs> I'd love to take a sketching course from you. <laughs> Oh, let's see if we can set that up. Uh -huh. um, all right. So let's dive in a little bit. Um, I actually uh, heard about you by listening to another podcast and was really fascinated because you talked about ritual design. And I thought I, I got to invite him to this show because I think it's so relevant to um, service design and design thinking in HR, especially uh, right now. So let's, let's dive in that a little bit. So tell us a little bit, what is ritual design? How, how is it connected to design thinking? Yeah. And how have you applied it in the workplace? Okay, so let me start with what is rituals and what is ritual design. So a ritual um, and growing up in a very uh, religious community uh, uh, when I was younger, kind of taught me the power of rituals 
to bring people together and to uh, embody those uh, meaningful uh, beliefs that we have as a community together. So whether it be our vision or a mission or uh, anything like this. And a ritual differs from a routine or a, um, a habit where a habit and a routine are things that you would easily practice again and again. This might be brushing your teeth, etc. A ritual differs in this way because it's embedded with intent, meaning, and represents, uh, you know, this untangible kind of layer of our lives. So it's not something that we do as a functional thing, but it's also something that connects us with a more um, deeper meaning in that kind of way. So if you take that understanding of what a ritual is, and then you put the, the word, the D word, the design word next to it, it's also about being conscious and intentful and crafting those meaningful, repeatable uh, exercises. So it's designing those rituals for you, your community, and in my case, our customers. So it's also about not just building rituals in terms of this is what we would like to do on a Monday, or this is our ritual in which we can celebrate each other or connect each other, um, but also being intentful about how we're creating rituals in the lives of our customers. Um, and how have I applied it? Well, yeah. One way is to imply it internally. Uh, we also look and reflect upon the rituals we have in our design community and in our organization. I also work with other uh, people, whether it be through mentoring or through uh, consulting, uh, how they might be able to build rituals in their communities. And then I also do this for the customer. So how can our, in our services and in our experience of our product also build in rituals that help them kind of develop as well? Yeah. I can you can you maybe give a, an example to illustrate that? What would be an example of a ritual in the workplace? Sure. So a ritual in the workplace. Well, my favorite, one of my favorite ones is a, a birthday book ritual that we kind of translated from the 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 you know the actual normal birthday ritual, which is you know someone brings a cake in. At least in Germany, the birthday person brings a cake in. Everyone grabs a quick coffee, grabs a piece of cake, says a little bit of a and then tries to get back to their desk. Um, and what cake. we wanted to with the cake, <laughs> of course, always with the cake. It's all about the cake. And uh, mm -hmm. yeah, so that, that ritual was a little bit lacking. And in the agency that I was working for, uh, we wanted to empower that to uh, be a bit more representative of what we believed as our community. And of course, we believe in the people. We want to celebrate them. We want to acknowledge them, what makes them special and smart. So what we did is that uh, you would buy a birthday book. Uh, you would get that from the company as a thank you. Um, but then we would also buy that book for our community library in our office. And the idea is that when the next all hands came about, you would talk to the rest of the community and to the rest of the designers, why everyone should be interested in that book and why you're interested in reading that book. So we're also, you know, sharing this knowledge because everyone brings that knowledge. We're also celebrating the person and giving them a chance to also present and share what makes them passionate, which is also a great way to, to celebrate and acknowledge those people. So we turned that ritual into something that was a little bit maybe have to do into something that we wanted to do and also celebrated the individuals. So that's one. I love that. Yeah. That's a great example. And maybe let's talk a little bit where, I'm just curious, where would you situate rituals in the design thinking in the end-to-end -end journey? Is it is it a, um, a solution that, that's sort of right? It, you know, once you've gone through the design mm. thinking process and then a ritual is a solution at the end that you might prototype or is the ritual the thing you're designing and then you go through the design thinking stages to 
design it. Do you know what I'm talking about? Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I guess it's a little bit meta here, but mm -hmm, uh, if you bear with yep. me and going down the, <laughs> you know, the theoretical path, yep, yep. Um, I think it can be something that you create for people. So then you would apply the design thinking process. You could, you know, discover all the rituals that you have in your community, uh, analyze them, ask what people need and want, start to ideate and test and then with the rituals, you can actually map them out. So you could say, we would like to try this uh, ritual of, um, let's say, a Monday morning celebration where we all come together, we think about something that's exciting for the week, and, and then we kind of write that down and maybe we put it in a bucket and at the end of the week, we pull out all the celebrations and see which ones we achieved, something like this. You might want to prototype that. You might want to change it. You might want to tweak it with the community. You might want to, you know, add a little bit, take a little bit away. And then it becomes the actual thing that you apply design thinking for. Mm. I would also add that you could think about the rituals that you have within your design thinking practice. So whether it be, okay, when we talk to people, how are we compensating them and keeping them in the loop for further research needs? Uh, how are we engaging uh, each individual in our team when we're going through the design thinking process? Mm. How are we making sure that everyone feels comfortable with the ambiguity when it's going through the design process? Is there like an end of day check-in with an emotional emoji celebration or something like this? Um, so it's something that you can help to use your in your design thinking process, but also something that you can create with the design thinking process. Got it. That I thought that, that was really helpful. Thank you for that. Um, let's talk a little bit. So I, I recently wrote a three-part series uh, around um, co-creating um, the, the future work, you know, moving to a hybrid workplace, which is, a, mm. of course, so top of mind for many organizations and really taking a design thinking approach and a co-creation approach across all stakeholders to that. In one of the um, topics I talked about, and there was um, co-creation of new habits and rituals being part of that. So do you have a perspective on how we might co-create new working rituals with our teams, either for HR or for leaders or for employees themselves, that they could apply ritual design to new work habits and this new way that we need to figure out how to work together? Um, yeah, and actually, before I get, I would love to give some credit to uh, two amazing people, uh, Margaret and Korzak, who actually do uh, ritual design at Stanford University, mm. and they mm. wrote a book uh, that you should uh, look up right now, which is called uh, Rituals for Virtual Meetings, and that ah. book really details out a lot of great solutions. They also have another one called uh, Rituals in the Workplace, which is also fantastic, and I think what... Um, so there's a couple of things. And I think when everyone went to this switch of working in this hybrid mode, it was a chance for people to kind of reevaluate the rituals and the habits that we have mm -hmm. in the workplace. Not because we wanted to, but because we had to. <laughs> a lot of the things that we were doing, we've just been doing for such a long time. And this is also a good thing that I tend to talk about a little bit when it comes to um, when it comes to the rituals is the consciousness of the rituals we have in our community as a great way to see if we're including the right people or excluding people or bringing in the right people as well. Um, and I think when we went into the hybrid mode, there was no, let's say, traditions or default kind of rituals that we could kind of go back to. So we had to recreate them and reinvent them. And um, 
I think it's also difficult to know which is the right one, how much is too many. So, you know, a lot of people, when they came to this hybrid work mode or remote working, they were like, oh, let's just have lots of meetings. We're going to have a coffee every day. We're going to have a meeting every day. We're going to do everything every day as the maybe the managers felt a little bit too distant and had no idea what was going on with their, you know, the, the employees. And maybe the employees felt a little bit like disconnected from the rest of the employees. And I think finding that balance and prototyping the rituals is really important here. So unlike where we had lots of default rituals where we could depend upon in the workplace, you know, everyone's in the office. So maybe we have a Friday afternoon drink or uh, maybe we do X, Y, Z at lunch and we go get together there, or maybe we can get some catering to bring in some people. It became quite difficult. Um, but I think the idea and the best practice and the best advice I give is, is prototype, prototype, prototype. So really don't say this is the ritual we're going to do now and forever, but this is the rituals we would like to try. And in a month, we're going to see if that works for us or if we would change it or what's not working about it. Um, and this reflective kind of iterative process that I think design thinking does so well is something that uh, we all should be doing within our, uh, in our workplace as well. It does take a little bit more time. That's true. It would be nice if we all had the, the perfect solution. But I think in that process, we also need to um, kind of reflect a lot because one thing that always comes to me and a question that always comes when it comes to ritual design is, what is the right ritual that I should be doing? And I always say, well, you have to do what works for your community because um, of course they're embodying the principles that we have, um, maybe freedom or you know, individually, like individuality is really important in your community. Maybe in another team, a company, it's very much connectedness and high-performing teams and very close teams. And you have to find the right balance there as well, according to the community that you're a part of. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. So many things I love there. So first, um, when you said maybe the rituals we had in the in the workplace beforehand were by default, and that you know that really rang true for me because I think that's how it's been, right? We have been applying practices from the 20th century, <laughs> and uh -huh. haven't really didn't you know, re-examine them. And you know when you go back to the definition that you had about ritual, and there's an intentionality about it. And we really hadn't done that with work rituals for the longest time. So we got kind of pushed into being more intentional again around designing rituals. So I love that, that point you made. And then the other one is this is not a one and done, mm -hmm. but really this is a design thinking sort of mindset around experimentation. Nobody has the answers right now. There is no playbook for the future work, right? And that's why design thinking is so powerful. But so to position it as an experiment, we are all in this gigantic experiment together. So I love that aspect. And then the last point you made around really understanding your com community. And that's why I believe we need to co-create these things with our employees who for HR people or leaders is our community, right? We can't like design and then tell them this is how the future work is going to be. No, we are all in this together and we need to co-craft it. So to me, all these things really resonate in how we can really intentionally redesign how work could look like, including the rituals. So thank you yeah. for that. You're so welcome. let's talk a little bit about barriers. What barriers have you experienced when you try to introduce ritual design uh, in general, or especially in the design thinking sphere? 
Yeah, there's a couple of barriers and um, one that I personally experienced myself, which was, okay, ritual sounds like religion, sounds like the spiritual side, you know, I don't want to combine this side of my life with work. Um, and that's one that I have to say is, is fair. Um, I think when we talk about rituals, everyone has rituals, whether you're uh, religiously minded, spiritually minded or, or not. There are things that you do and that help you connect with your fellow employees or not connect with them. There are things that you do that maybe help you develop. There are things that maybe you do that help you feel acknowledged in your work. Um, and there might be uh, some other things that you do uh, without even realizing it. And so that's one barrier that to distance and uh, disconnect this. Okay, this is what I'm talking about. Um, you know, let's do grace or maybe Christmas or, you know, these specific religious celebrations. But I think within ritual design, you can also say, what is the rituals that we want for our community is a great way to uh, come over that barrier. Another barrier, I think, is uh, fatigue, uh, especially within the remote work area. Uh, when you're talking about, oh, what is the rituals that we're going to do? What are we thinking about? A lot of people are like, how does this affect my work? Why do I have to think about this? Why do I have to be a part of this process? I don't know actually what I need or want. Can't you figure this out? And then I attend what I need to attend. Um, and I think this is also just, um, you know, it's a very honest reflection upon how people are feeling within the work that they're doing and this disconnectedness and this uh, ambiguity. And the thing that I would like to highlight here is that uh, looking at what's needed uh, within your community is a great way to get buy-in and then trying early and adopting it uh, early and prototyping early rather than coming up with this big final big presentation. This is what we're going to do, but uh, more say this is what we have been doing and this is what we will continue and adapt because of X, Y, Z. That's a second barrier. Um, and I think with all so in that second barrier, it's really good to focus on some of the key principles that we also found work really well for us. And that is one, acknowledging the people that are there, making sure that rituals acknowledge those that are in the community. And the second one is connecting them with other people uh, as this you know, separation and loneliness is kicking in, I would say within uh, the remote work. Third is uh, helping them develop. So maybe professionally, maybe maybe in their career, but also maybe helping them develop social connections in terms of friendships or relationships. Um, that's also really, really important as well. Um, yeah, so I think those two barriers are, are the, the main ones there. And a third one, I guess, for, for those that want to start in rituals is where do I begin? Um, and that's also something that uh, can be helpful. And I would say what you should do is just begin within your small team and find what works and then uh, move outwards from there. So don't start with, okay, we've got, you know, 100 or 200 people in our community. Let's do something for everyone. Rather, hey, here's some people that are really interested in, maybe it's book reading or maybe it's um, a certain group of introverts that want to practice one thing. Let's start with them. Let's start with this small subgroup that I'm a part of, build a ritual with them and then see how we might be able to communicate it further. So, yeah. Yeah, thank you. And, and so one thing that sort of stuck out to me from all the great things you said was you can't force, and I'm paraphrasing, but you can't force rituals onto people. Yeah. Right? So because then they, it's become something artificial and maybe it feels like a chore or another to do that I have to go through the motion of doing. So by definition, again, it needs to be co-created. And 
to your earlier point, it needs to be meaningful to the community. So yeah. how do we figure out what is a ritual that actually adds value, right? And maybe makes life easy, easier or enriches, enriches their lives versus another check the box that they have to go through. So sort of striking that balance and figuring that out, I think this may be a tension that, I mean, I think it's worth exploring for sure, but I, I can feel that um, a novice or initially that might feel intimidating. Yeah. yeah. Do you have any advice around that specifically? How to tackle that? Uh, as in helping people get started? Yeah, and kind of mitigate the tension between, you know, am I designing something that that's just maybe feels as a burden, you know, one more thing to do versus something that's truly value added? Mm. Yeah, I think that's a really individually community specific mm -hmm. thing and an answer so for mm -hmm. some and for our community within product design it was to reduce mm -hmm. and then replace what we felt was missing and there's a great mm -hmm. quote from another book um uh rituals in communities uh, and the art of community where he talks about like the idea that you uh if if a ritual is missing for instance if something has been going on then you take it away and people are like, where is this thing gone? Why are we not doing this anymore? That was really nice. I really enjoyed this. Then you know it's a good ritual and I would bring those ones back. If you stop a ritual or take a break from a ritual and everyone's like, well, there's no reaction, then maybe it's worth uh, removing that ritual and replacing with something new and exciting or, or changing it. Mm -hmm. And I have to say within rituals, there's seasonality as well. So mm -hmm. um, as we're coming close to... So the holiday season mm -hmm. at the moment, there's uh, different rituals that might be more present at this time than in summer. Um, and those rituals have seasonality. So something that I also discovered within uh, rituals and owning those as well is that their engagement levels will also increase or decrease throughout time. So don't take it, mm. oh, no one's interested. It stopped growing. People stop coming. Um, continue on perseverance of course rituals aren't just magically created from one day to the next um, but yeah in that way I would say there's also seasonality and also to a check occasionally remove it bring it back change it over time um, and this is also something that you might find helps you understand what is the right level of rituals uh, for your community mm -hmm. thank yeah. you so let's talk a little bit about impact so if I'm just joining and I'm asking, why should I design rituals? What's the, what's your answer to that? And what's maybe the like tangible impact you've seen from some of the rituals you've you know, implemented or seen implemented in the workplace? Yeah, this is a fantastic question. And um, there's a bit of a story in terms of my growing up religious and figuring out the rituals were the key and understanding how the impact on rituals, because when I stepped away from my religious community, that was very important to me and very uh, very, very well known. Um, the rituals, the same ones that helped bring me into the community, the, the mentoring, the small groups, uh, when I stepped away from these rituals or wanted to uh, participate in a different way, really pushed me out very quickly of the community that I felt a part of so well. Um, and rituals are really important because they are the intangible way that we show people if we want to include them or exclude them from our community. And there's one story that I always like to tell, uh, which is the Friday night drinks. So if your community um, uh, only gets together in a social manner on a Friday night drink, you are also implying to those people that don't drink 
or don't have the time to meet after work on a Friday night or be part of that club or go out and spend that much money, that you are no longer welcome in the community because you are no longer uh, able to connect socially with your peers. You won't be able to share those stories afterwards on Monday night. You won't be able to laugh at the jokes that were being told. So therefore you you will exclude those people that you wanted in part of your community. And in HR, we know that, uh, you know, uh, competitiveness and uh, being able to community that uh, includes diverse range of mindsets delivers better results. We know these things. So within our rituals, um, if we don't have the right ones, uh, if we don't have, uh, we're not conscious about those rituals and how people are feeling about them or who those rituals are included or not included, we can create a community, whether we intend to or not, that maybe excludes people we need in that excludes people that are different, that excludes people that don't drink or that have kids to look after or aren't welcome anymore. Um, Whether we do this um, directly or indirectly, rituals is a great way that we show that to other people. Um, Yeah, so that's the impact I think that rituals can create, which is something that, uh, which is why I talk about ritual design as a topic actually, because uh, I would like to have people that are more conscious and I would like to work in companies that are more conscious of the rituals we have and how they represent uh, what we believe in as a community as well. So, yeah. It's so interesting going back to the default rituals that we maybe had and maybe by default, many or at least several of them were exclusionary in nature yeah. because they weren't consciously designed. So there's an opportunity to create more inclusive rituals and really consciously asking ourselves, okay, so maybe it's sort of a, you know, thing we go through like a lens, right? So whenever we design a ritual, there's sort of some probing questions or check questions uh, that we should go through to make sure that what we design is inclusive. And, you know, to your point, maybe when we prototype and test it, also make sure we're testing it with a range of diverse members of our community to make sure we're not unintentionally excluding some groups. So I think that's really important takeaway for our HR, especially as we are, um, you know, lately, especially there's a huge focus on inclusion design and making sure we're designing inclusive workplaces. So ritual design is, is not different from that. So thank you for that. Exactly. Yep. Well said. Yeah. And so I have a few more questions, but if there's uh, Other questions from the community, please put them in the chat. We'll get to them at the end. So you already mentioned some great resources on ritual design that we should check out, a couple of books. Um, But just taking it a a bit broader, what are your favorite design thinking resources or hacks? Uh, Really practically, the right way to pull off a post-it note is not to pull it up. It is to pull it down. Uh, That's one really specific physical hack that I like with design thinking. We do use is, post-it notes a lot. So they stick better? Was that yeah. The, yeah. If mm-hmm. you, if you uh, peel them up, you will get a nice, uh, I would try and exaggerate it, a nice curl and they'll all point upwards. Yeah. But if you pull them down, they will stay flat so that you can uh, obviously <laughs> keep them That's on the wall. Much, much, oh, much better. There you that go. is so valuable because yes, <laughs> then when you put them on a whiteboard, they always fall off because they're this is really the, the design thinking nerds are nerding out right now because <laughs> yeah, literally anybody who has done it knows why. They, oh, so yeah. helpful. Thank you for that. Uh, sorry, just for a completely different off-topic answer for you. 
awesome. another one is to no i'm gonna stick with that one that's gonna be my one <laughs> <laughs> i love that that's so good um i'm gonna use that oh boy all right so um i usually close with a quote and let you react to it are you ready go for it all right quote whereas moral courage is the writing of wrongs, creative courage, in contrast, is the discovering of new forms, new symbols, new patterns on which a new society can be built." Unquote. Rollo May. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> I think it is. Uh, it's dealing with that ambiguity, right? It's dancing with that ambiguity. Um, creative confidence. Uh, there's also a fantastic book that everyone should also read, uh, is also how we approach the dealing with not knowing. And uh, to be confident in that is to dance with the ambiguity, which is incredibly difficult to do, and to uh, move along in that direction uh, with confidence. And I think I totally agree with that uh, quote. Yeah, it's a fantastic one. Yeah, well, you can keep it. And thank you for closing us out with these inspiring words. It was wonderful to have you on the show. I learned so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And see you at a future Talent Tales. Bye. <laughs>